Before we begin, I'd like to thank everyone for all the support you've shown me since Worldwide Crush was released this summer. The lovely messages, the well wishes, the online reviews you've posted, the pictures you're sending me of you reading my book, mostly at the beach. All of it has contributed to the success of this book and has made me feel so cared for during this really intense and joyful, but sometimes intimidating time. And because you asked, we are happy to announce that the PCPS will finally be hosting a Worldwide Crush book club. I'm getting so many questions and comments from people, and it's clear that you all have a lot of feelings about this story. Maybe because Millie is all of us. I don't know, just saying. Um, This will be a virtual get-together where readers can share their thoughts, and the author, Hello Me, will be right there to answer all of your questions. If you're not a book club person and you'd like to just come and listen, that is fine too. The PCPS Worldwide Crush Book Club is free for our Patreon members and just $10 for everyone else. You'll find a link to sign up in our newsletter and in our link tree on Instagram. The date is Tuesday, November 14th, so mark your calendars. Thank you again for all of your support, and please enjoy the show. Oh, shoot, I forgot to put a bra on. Can you guys do the hand jive? (laughs) I can do it. (laughs) I'll do it. I was going to do it for you, but I didn't put a bra on. Hello world, it's a song that we're singing Come on, get happy A whole lot of loving is what we'll be bringing We'll make you happy We had a dream, we go traveling together Spread a little love and it will keep moving on Something always happens whenever we together We get a happy feeling when we're singing a song Welcome back to part two of our discussion about what could be considered the soundtrack of the Gen X childhood. Last week we talked about the origin of Greece, which was a Broadway musical inspired by a collection of 45s. The original writers of the Broadway musical got all nostalgic one night listening to their 45s from high school and said, why can't we have a musical that sounds like this? I swear to God, within minutes they had offers to turn the show into a movie, and the producer of that movie would be Robert Stigwood, a man whose off-the-chart success had come most recently from Saturday Night Fever and its legendary soundtrack. Amen. Yes, and we Gen Xers know this album by heart. It was in every home. It had six giant hits on the radio in constant rotation. And last week, we walked you through side one of this double album set. Side one is stacked with hits, including the title song, Grease, written by Barry Gibb, but sung by 1960s teen idol Frankie Valli, which somehow succeeded as a disco theme for a 50s movie. Summer Nights, the classic He Said, She Said song that we all acted out in our basements and hopelessly devoted to you, where Olivia Newton-John pines for John Travolta and sees her reflection in a kiddie pool. (laughs) Yes, and then... You're the one that I want. Another, let's put on a show in the basement song. And Sandy, where Danny gets handsy at the drive-in and Sandy rejects him in full view of their classmates. Ouch. And now it's time to flip the record over to side two and jump back into the discussion we started last week. Please enjoy part two of the PCPS's dissertation level study of Grease, the original soundtrack from the motion picture. Enjoy.
starts with a song that's famously sung by a literal teen angel of the 50s, and that's Beauty School Dropout. Beauty School Dropout Hanging around the corner store Beauty School Dropout It's about time Sung by Frankie Avalon. You know, Frankie. Oh, Frankie and Annette, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he appears to Frenchie in a very vivid vision when she's despondent. She's feeling like a failure. She's dropped out of high school and beauty school. I mean, she turned her own hair pink. Um, and this <laughs> song is the classic 50s, like, doo-wop. It's that music we all associate with the 50s. But the scene, it is so... It's a whole over-the-top spectacle, and it's so terrific. Rizzo and Marty and others appear as his angel dancers, and they've got these giant headdresses of silver rollers, like curlers. And then they've got their costumes are like sort of a take on a cape, a beauty cape, but it's like a white, you know, little like (laughs) angel-y cape looking. And Frankie Avalon sings very pointedly directly to Frenchie about her failures. He tells her to go back to high school so she can become a stenographer. The lyrics make this song. The lyrics are so clever. And I'm just going to read you some of my favorites. And it's very difficult for me to read these lyrics to you and not sing them to you. But he says, baby, get moving. And they go, better get moving. And he says, why keep your feeble hopes alive? Oh, it's just so awful. And at the time, the first half of the song, if you remember, Frenchie just has stars in her eyes looking at him. He's her teen angel. But as the words just keep getting progressively and progressively hurtful to her, she's kind of like, wait. What? Because he'll say, <laughs> and of course, this had to have been everybody's favorite to sing as a kid because you oh, got know, to say this word. But you, yeah. he says, well, they couldn't teach you anything. You think you're such a looker, but no customer would go to you, everybody, unless, unless she, she was, was a, a hooker. hooker. And then she's sort of like, you can see in her eyes. I was watching it again the other day and her eyes are kind of like, wait, what? What? <laughs> and it's she, Didi Khan just reacts perfectly. And then he says, baby, don't sweat it. And then I can just see the girls going, baby, don't sweat it. Um, He says, you're not cut out to hold a job. Better forget it. Who wants their hair done by a slob? (laughs) Poor Frenchie. I know. She's like, wait, what? Still the world is cruel. Wipe off that angel face and go back and then he has to go. He's got to go back, you know, to that malt shop in the sky, which is so funny because that's what everybody associated. I think Frankie Avalon probably lived in a malt shop, right? Yeah. And so I just think this is such a cute little break in the whole um, Danny Sandy thing. And I always loved this scene. I always loved to to play it, you know, and pretend I was one of the, the girls dancing in the back. But I just think it's terribly clever. Did you, how long did it take you? Maybe I'm the only one here. I'll raise my hand. How long did it take you to figure out that the entire female cast were the teen angels? They're, well, they're not. It's really only Rizzo and Marty, isn't it? Patty Simcox is in there, too. And Jan might be in there if you, maybe we just don't, she's buried or something, because Patty Simcox is definitely there. I bet it took me nine times. <laughs> I mean, it oh, was, really? go that many. I was a long time. I would always really know Rizzo time. was one of them, but it probably took me a long time to realize Marty was one as well. She was the first one I spotted. I was mm-hmm. like, is that, is that Rizzo? And then I felt a little cheated. Like they were double dipping. Like they were just using 
their regular characters. Oh, see, I think it's really clever because I think, you know, they're meaning like, of course she's going to see them in this dream. They're her best friends, right? As part of the people that are giving her advice and telling her what to do. Oh, that's Um, an interesting perspective. I never thought of it like that. Yeah. I really, um, I love the song, but I hated the scene. I thought it was so dumb. I'm like, why are we doing this? Like, well, it wasn't real. Kind of like the very end. It was a fantasy sequence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not a big fantasy sequence when I'm so invested in the story. She doesn't like talking animals. She doesn't like, yeah. Yeah. No, I just Okay, this will be interesting to see what happens when Grease Lightning comes along. Because this movie is full of fantasy Mm -hmm. sequences. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that I thought Grease Lightning was as much of a (laughs) fan. You thought they really got that car looking like that? That's, yeah. Yeah. That's so shiny. I know. How'd they do that so fast? Uh, okay, so then moving right along on side two is Look at Me, I'm Sandra D. Sung by Stalker Channing Rizzo, who is making fun of Sandy's good girlness at the Pink Lady Sleepover. This establishes the relationship between Rizzo and Sandy very, very quickly in the movie. Uh, Rizzo says at the beginning of the sleepover when Sandy's in the bathroom, she says, Miss Goody Two-Shoes makes me want to barf as she's putting on the blonde wig before breaking into, look at me, I'm Sandra D. And she's singing it really, you know, like cloying. Yes, totally yeah. cloying. Mm-hmm. And um, Sandra D, of course, was the 1950s actress known for portraying um, ingenues, which in its very definition means endearingly innocent, right? So by calling Sandy Sandra D in that time frame of the movie, everybody knew who what she was what she was trying to say. The song also makes references to several 50s personalities, including Doris Day, Annette Funicello, and Elvis Presley. And Sandy our Sandy's made for the perfect reference when shortened to Sandra D because she was the girl with the perfect image and she's the girl who's the good girl. This scene to me is such a contradiction because I loved it, but it's so gut wrenching. They're all making fun of Sandy for basically just being a good girl. And when she comes out of the bathroom and you can just hear the hurt in her voice when she asks, are you making fun of me, Riz? Yes. And it's oh, so gosh. painful. And it's so hard. You guys, even at nine years old, I knew this was me. I knew I was Cardigan Sandy. I was the good girl. But even at age nine, I'm already realizing that it's not cool to be the good girl. And you get ridiculed for it. And you have to apologize for it. And this movie is just shedding so much light. It's illustrating that fact by this scene. And it hurts. It hurt, it hurt me at age nine. It hurt me all the way, you know, until I was an adult. But for some reason, I loved this song. I loved this scene. I would, I could probably spend an entire afternoon being all the care. Like I would be Rizzo and I would be, you know, put the wig on my head and, you know, lousy with virginity. <laughs> and then I would be Sandy coming out of the bathroom. I loved it. And it's such a contradiction. You're right. That little voice when she comes out of the bathroom. Are you making fun of me, Riz? Yes, are you it just me, pierced your heart. And uh, truthfully, I didn't know. Again, just add this to the pile of things I didn't know. I didn't know that she was making fun of Sandy until she came out and said that. Oh, really? I Well, pro- probably because I didn't know who Sandra D was. Mm. So I didn't. And I knew that her name wasn't Sandra D. So I didn't really get the correlation. It only took over time where I understood that Rizzo was making fun of her. It just, yeah, I didn't get it. Yeah, I didn't well, get it. This was one of those where I needed to um, ask my parents who I was like, well, who's Sandra D? So my mom explained all of that. 
It's interesting, though, because I think back to singing it, and for some reason I'm, like, recreating it, and I'm standing up on my bed, and I'm probably holding my curling iron, like, I think, (laughs) and I'm just screaming out, like, virginity so loud, (laughs) and no one ever said anything to me. I'm sure I'm saying it out loud in front of my parents. Lousy with virginity. Yes. Uh Uh-huh. And well, that still it took me a long time to probably figure out what that even meant. They probably just let me sing that and not even be like, she doesn't even know what she she's She doesn't saying. get it. Yeah. Do you know about the Salminio part? He was in a lot of movies with Sandra D, wasn't he? Weren't they together? Weren't Sal- they like a- The Elvis part. The Elvis part. Elvis. 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 Let me be. Let me be. Get your pelvis far from, from me. So that was changed because in the musical version of it, they mentioned Salminio. But Salminio had just been murdered. Oh. He had just been stabbed to death in 1976. So they changed it for the movie to be Elvis instead. But then on the day that they filmed that scene where she's singing the Elvis part to the Elvis poster on her, their wall, they filmed that on August 16th, 1977, the day that Elvis died. Oh, no. Oh. Yikes, mm-hmm. the curse of the, that song. I know. Ooh. Wow. It adds a whole layer that. of spookiness about that song. And the Sal Minio thing is just kind of creepy. Like, he was stabbed. He didn't die. He was murdered. Yikes. <laughs> you got, weird. I'm sorry. I'm going to make sure the video clip of this gets there. I mean, we need to be on, like, Law and Order has beat you. And you're dun, dun, making a closing statement. He didn't die. He was murdered. He was murdered. <laughs> Yeah, that song had, yeah, you could learn a lot from that song. Carolyn, what you were saying about standing on your bed and screaming, lousy, you know, lousy with virginity and not knowing what you're singing is a great segue to the next track on side two, which is Greased Lightning. Greased Lightning. And um, before we get into the lyrics, um, just the quick backstory to refresh your memory. Kanicki buys a used car and gives it the nickname Greased Lightning. And the T-Birds are all very skeptical it's ever going to be able to race because it's basically a junker. But Danny and Kanicki are able to convince them through song and a lot of imagination, cue fantasy scene, that it can be a total hot rod and a real pussy wagon. So let's talk, you drive your cats around all day. Let's talk about those lyrics. Did you know what getting lots of tit and Chicksel cream meant in 1978? Or did you think it was Chicksel scream? I thought it was Chicksel scream. scream I, sure. When somebody pointed out the tit part, I was like, oh, what? Mm-hmm. But I never heard it. I honestly, I think I probably learned the word tit from this song. I didn't even know what a tit was. Yeah. yeah. I'm trying to think what I sang because I don't think I sang tit at first. No, or a real pussy wagon. Well, I have to share. I know I didn't say that. I have to share a fun story I found on Reddit when researching for this episode. You guys, I'm dead. This is the funniest (laughs) thing. The way this person wrote this story, I love him. He says, when I was in elementary school in the early 80s, our music class had one day a month that we could bring in our records from home and play one song for the class. In the interest of music appreciation, we would then discuss the song we played like a kind of show and tell. 
Since this was the early 80s, Greece was huge. Huge in that way that things just aren't anymore. Everyone had that soundtrack. Families went to see it together or watched it on cable. Every house that had a piano had the sheet music, and the soundtrack was at every house you went to, friend and family. Greece was, in fact, the word. So it wasn't at all weird to us when my friend Chris brought in the soundtrack and for his song played Greased Lightning. Just a cool song about a really cool car and how cool the cool car was. Cool. We're like six years old and all bobbing our heads and a couple of us are doing Travolta moves from the movie because, again, this was a movie not only everyone had seen but had often seen multiple times with their family, no less. We had it memorized. So... We're like a third of the way in, and the teacher freaks the fuck out, and record scratch, and she grabs Chris, and they are off to the office, and the rest of us are in stunned silence. Later, we find out Chris is sent home for bringing in a dirty song. Oh, my God. It's not a dirty song. It's greased lightning. It's about a cool car that is cool. It's not dirty, is it? So naturally, kids being inquisitive and all that, we form a committee to explore the validity (laughs) of her accusation. We're getting together after school and listening closely and starting and stopping the song. But what really helped was getting older brothers involved. That changed everything. Getting lots of tit, tit like (laughs) boob. Oh, man. (laughs) Chicks will cream. I thought it was scream. Wait, what the hell does creaming even mean? (laughs) If Mrs. Olson could have chilled the fuck out for another minute and a half, over 30 children would have gone on not knowing, nor being curious about the fluid dynamics of female ejaculate, and that would have been that. (laughs) Grease Lightning would have just kept on being about a really cool, cool car. (laughs) Yeah, she stepped in it. Yes. She blew it up. But it's exactly right. We all sang these songs loudly and proudly, Mm -hmm. didn't we? Yeah, and I said, pussy wagging. I just thought that was what you called a cool car. Yeah, it's a pussy wagging. Little cat. Well, like a pussy willow. uh, I have a few few fun facts about this song. Um, Jeff Conway, who played Kanicki in the movie, injured his back during the dance sequence, leading to an addiction to painkillers that would follow him for the rest of his life. Oh, my God. I guess that's not a very fun fact, is it? Well, and don't you feel like the whole Kanicki story, the Jeff Conway story, like, it's almost like the Kanicki curse. Mm. Like, oh, the fact that he was Danny on Broadway, but then he gets demoted yeah. to Kanicki and then he gets addicted to painkillers. He gets in every way. His star just stops shining as bright. And yeah. John Travolta gets all the attention. It's not fair. No, it's not. Uh, in one shot. I don't know if you guys remember this. Travolta is shown <clears throat> rubbing plastic wrap over his crotch, a yes. sly sexual reference to beat the censors. Because back in the 50s, many misinformed teens tried to use saran wrap as a contraceptive when they were unable to buy condoms. Oh my God. Put a shower I cap. That distinctly. Put a shower yes. cap over Something that. Like this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in high school productions, and in the 2016 Fox Live adaptation, the lyrics are modified for young ears. As we know, they say what we all thought they said to begin with. The chicks will scream, not cream. And she's a real dragon wagon, which is oh, just no. stupid. Yeah, that's dumb. You could say paddy wagon. They could have come up with something yeah. else, yeah. Something. Well, what did they say for tip? What did they grab? I don't know. Yeah, that wasn't of, in my – well, see. Lots um, of sh- I'll have to listen to it. I'm trying to okay. think what I said. We'll be getting lots of tit and grease a lot. Yeah, what no, is that, no, what no, is that no, line? No, 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 no. Um, we'll be getting lots of tit. We'll be getting lots of it. I think I said it. We'll be I'm getting lots of it. 
That's still, still though. Getting lots of, yeah. Uh-huh. Lots of what? <laughs> <laughs> the chicks will scream. No idea. I had no idea about it. few songs are those songs that were important in the Broadway musical, but not so important on the, um, in the movie. Yeah. And so the first, so we have It's Raining on Prom Night, Alone at the Drive-In, and Blue Moon. So um, the only one I think that we'll have any memory of is It's Raining on Prom Night. Mm-hmm. Alone at the Drive-In was turned into an instrumental, so oh, okay. we don't remember okay, it at all. Why. Blue Moon was not in the theater production, but was added in. That is a cover song that they just sang at the dance. Yeah, that's right. Um, and it's raining on prom night. I think is noted. Like I think we liked it as kids because we because the lyrics were really funny, and um, the ones that I remember the most are. So it's about obviously it's raining on prom night, and her night is ruined. This girl's night is ruined, and she says, "I don't even have my corsage." song and then this was another one that i loved the rain is wilting the quilting on my maiden form which i'll be honest i only the maiden form part i only understood like now when i was listening to it i could sing it when i was a kid it's wilting oh the yeah, quilting yeah, yeah, yeah on my maiden form but i didn't know what a maiden form was i thought it was like the mannequin that you would put of clothes course. on when you made clothes yeah. And you guys correct me if I if I correct me if I'm wrong. This was sung by Cindy Bullens, sometimes known as Sydney Bullens. I don't know why there are two different spellings of her name. Was she one of the people who sang Schlemiel, Schlemazel, Hasselhoff Incorporated, yes. and written by Louis St. Louis? Which and and check the Louis St. Louis too because the Louis St. Yes, Louis and, cracked me up as a kid. Sydney Somebody's Bullens. name is Louis St. Louis. Who would do that? Who would do that child? to a child? Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait a minute. This says it's um, written by Jim Jacobs and Warren Casey from their okay, 1978 the musical Grease. Broadway but- writers. Yeah. Okay. Those are the original writers. So maybe Louis St. Louis doesn't come along yet, but it is sung by Cindy Bullens. Yeah, yep. Okay. And she did Schlemiel Schlemazel, Austin Feff Incorporated. Cindy Greco was the main singer who belted out the Laverne and Shirley okay. theme. Cindy Greco, okay. the main voice behind Making Our Dreams Come True. So well, suffice it to say that all those fun facts I have for these songs are all wrong. <laughs> so we have nothing to say about any of these songs. Oh. Research on the fly. Okay, so the next the next part, Carolyn. So now mm-hmm. we have to flip this. We have to flip right. it over again. Oh, it's time for our new record because now it's side mm-hmm. three. That's we're on side right. three. Now we're pulling out the second album, like you said, Kristen. And let's just face it. How often did you pull out the second album? Oh, I know. Right? Not very. And that's probably why the songs are out of order because you – if mm-hmm. you think about it, all the ones that were singles are on that first side, I think, of the first album that, like, really made it popular on the radio. They loaded it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Except for when you're on the second album, you can pretend you're at the dance. Well, right. So and you might not be singing, but you get to sway. And then right. you get to mm-hmm. look mad and you get to look hurt and you get to storm off. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. 
That's right. So now we are at the dance. You're, um, let's picture ourselves there in the gym because we're getting ready for National Bandstand because they're broadcasting live <laughs> from Rydell High Gym with Johnny Casino and the Gamblers. Now, Johnny, isn't that the funnest name? It is great. <laughs> And did you guys love that twist? Did you? I loved that whole storyline. Yes. Yes. It was just fun. I love it. Yeah. Um, And Johnny Casino and the Gamblers were actually the group Sha Na Na. Now, let's just take a moment, ladies and gentlemen, because I don't think Sha Na Na gets the due that they deserve. I agree. (laughs) Right? Yeah. And anything, really. So Mm -hmm. do you guys remember Sha Na Na? And the show? Was it on Sunday morning? Yes. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. It was like syndicated. Um, Yeah. And remember Bowser? Yes. Oh, yes. He put his fist in his Such mouth. Such a character. Yes. yes. And so they had like a variety show. Andy Gibb was once a guest on the variety oh. show. But you guys, they really got their start or what kind of put them on the map was that they were actually an act in Wood, at Woodstock. Oh, that's weird. They opened or they were the la- one of the last acts right before Jimi Hendrix. They were what? so good. They got an encore. They didn't expect any of this. And so theories, when you look at this, are that the people in the audience, you know, they grew up in the 50s. So as much as they were liking this other music, there was that nostalgia piece again. So Shanana played these kind of retro 50s sounds and the people in the audience, that's when they were kiddos and they loved it. Mm-hmm. So they took off. And then, of course, as we've talked about earlier in this episode and other times, the 50s is kind of finding its its niche now here in the 70s. And people are interested. They want to hear it. They want to watch it. So Shanana becomes kind of a big deal. And they get this television show. We have Bowser. And they get to, I think, play a pretty starring role in Greece. If you think about that whole scene, a lot happens in that dance at the yeah. gym, mm-hmm. if you yeah. think about it. So they sing a lot of songs. A lot of them are covers of 50 songs. They do Rock and Roll is Here to Stay, which I know every word to. <laughs> Me too. Rock and Roll is Here to Stay. It will never die. It was meant to be that way. Though I don't know why. I don't care what people say. Rock and Roll is Here to Stay. We don't care what people say. But you know what? I have a confession to make. I'm not sure it's from the Grease album. I think it might be from Christy and Jimmy McNichols album because they oh, do a wow. wonderful cover of do Rock and Roll is Here to Stay. Aww. As much as I'd like to say it was from Sean and I and Grease, I'm, oh my God. I'm just thinking it's I don't want to hear that. No, I don't want to. All the respect to Jimmy and Christy McNichol, but I want <laughs> Bowser singing Rock and Roll is Here to Stay. Rock and Roll is Here to Stay. It will never song during the dance called Those Magic Changes. That playing on the radio Why do I start swaying to and fro I have never heard that song before But if I don't hear it anymore It's still familiar to me It kind of plays the backdrop to um, one, the scene where John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John are dancing and they 
wiggle on over and they meet <laughs> Cha-Cha, we think, mm-hmm. for the first time. Mm. And But no, by the looks of Danny's face, it is not the first time that he has met Cha-Cha. And he immediately grabs Olivia and they saunter the other way. So we know something is kind of going on there. This well, and, he, all- and remember, he serenades her and it's super uncomfortable. Yeah, oh, yeah. Like, he's really bad. Yeah, this is yeah. the peacocking part where he's trying to be the Lothario in front of everybody, and it's just, mm-hmm. you're like, stop singing. Well, she's right. getting so uncomfortable, too. Yes. Mm-hmm. But the really cringy scene, I think, while this song is playing, is when that scummy Vince Fontaine oh, with the acne scars making the moves on oh, Marty. Oh, no, him. Oh, yes, yes, yes. yes where he's oh, like, God. do you tell your parents that I come into your room every night? No. <laughs> I know. No. It's just gross. Yeah. It's just gross. So He's a grown up and she's a high school girl. I know. Mm. And I don't know why that probably didn't even register. And she was like, she was flattered. She was so oh, flattered yeah. well, that Vince Fontaine wanted to make it with her. On, as some people yeah. might say. Mm-hmm. Like the cherry. Yep, so we've got um, Hound Dog during that time of Mm -hmm. of the dance that kind of starts off the dance. You ain't known about a hound dog. That's an Elvis Presley song. We've got Tears on My Pillow. We've got um, a song on the album that's not in the movie called Mooning, kind of a play on words with the dropping trow mooning, as well as, you know, when you're just like all googly eyed mm-hmm. <laughs> over people, you're just mooning over them. Um, kind of a little wordplay going on there. Was it Duty and Putsy that did the mooning? Is that right? I feel like I do believe that's right. I just love too that Carolyn just said dropping trow. I love that expression. (laughs) Dropping trow. (laughs) This is where I learned I learned so much from this movie. This is where I learned what mooning was. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I had no I learned about tit and I learned about mooning. All sorts of helpful things. I also loved the hand claps in Hound Dog. I'm a big fan of Hound Dog, whether it's the Elvis version or this version. I've always been a fan of this song. And in this version, they go. It's like super hand clappy and I love it. Yeah. Okay. So still at the dance, we have Born to Hand Jive is next with Johnny Casino and the Gamblers. Oh, shoot. I forgot to put a bra on. Can you guys do the hand jive? (laughs) I can do it. (laughs) I'll do it. I was going to do it for you, but I didn't put a bra on. You can do it. It's just us. I can't okay. see your boobs. Here we go, ready? Or are you going to stand up? Uh-huh. Okay, I'll stand up. I see, it's going to hurt. you got to give yourself understand, a black eye. I understand. I'm trying to yeah. recall this. From, I haven't done this in decades. I'm just so watching. let's see if I can do it. Okay. Okay, I'm wait. I'm going to count this. us down. Okay. Ready? Five, six, seven, eight. I'm not bouncing, though. No. Because we should be jumping, but that would hurt too much. you got to just start doing it like this. <laughs> yeah. Very There's nicely. The Thank you. Okay, so we've established now that we can do the hand yeah. jive. So the hand jive, um, it involves. I gotta catch my breath. Okay, <laughs> it involves complicated, like a complicated pattern of hand moves and claps on various parts of your body. You slap, slap your thighs. You clap, clap your hands. Then you slice, slice your hands one mm-hmm. over the other. Pound, pound your fists one on top of the one on top of the other. Thumb, thumb over your shoulder. Mm-hmm. Thumb, thumb over your shoulder. Hitchhiker. Yeah, hitchhiker. Hitchhiker. So. Um, it's sort of like a very frantic form of patty cake. So in 1957, a famous filmmaker named Ken Russell recorded teenagers hand jiving in the basement of a London coffee house called The Cat's Whisker. So apparently hand jiving was a dance that you could do in very tight spaces, like basements of coffee houses. 
So according to the Daily Mirror in London, they said, it's so crowded, the girls hand jive to the band as there's no room for dancing. I just never thought of that. Yeah. I love it. Makes a lot of sense, right? Yeah. Um, The choreographer for the movie, though, for Grease, mentions that the dance also goes by another name, which now as grown-ups, we're like, oh, duh, the hand job. But (laughs) that's actually what they called it. They called it the hand job. But the title was changed because this was going to be a family movie. So they had to switch it back to the hand jive instead of the hand job. This scene is often listed as one of the best dance scenes Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. movie history. And it could be my favorite song on the album. Then don't they do this? Oh, Oh, yeah. yeah. Danny and Sandy do that. And she's got her, yeah, she takes off her little chiffon cape and they do the little giddy up thing. Yeah. Little giddy you up, the swing little your lasso. Up. You do the little swing lasso. lasso. Yeah. yeah, that's one of my so, favorite parts in that song. And that whole choreography is when they do so the lasso much. part. Yeah. yeah, the little step ball change with their little lasso going. This is so like cute. the moment in the film where I was like, I can't wait to be in high school. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be so fun. This scene is like pure freedom and mayhem. It's a manic moment. Which could be the reason that some religions frown upon dancing, <laughs> which, because it it's very animalistic. And again, just make sure that you're wearing a good bra when you do it. But while watching the movie, while watching this scene, we're very conflicted because everybody is ecstatic. But Danny has won the dance contest, not with Sandy, but with Chacha Di Gregorio. 40-year-old Chacha. Sorry. Yeah, for it, she was like 39. Oh, I hated her. Sandy, this is what we're learning from this, this moment in the movie. Sandy is doing the good girl dances. She's holding back. She's keeping between the lines. Don't move in suggestive ways. She was not free with her body. But you can't win a dance contest like that. Cha-Cha didn't give a rat's ass what people thought of her. She did exactly what the music told her to do. And as we all know, that music is building and building and building. And it's inspiring crazier and crazier choreography on the part of the people in the high school, in, in the gym, essentially. And so Danny, too, is sort of mesmerized by her, like a spell has been cast over him. If you recall that switcheroo where... Somebody takes Sandy away and gives him cha-cha. It's almost like he doesn't even know. He doesn't even see that it's happened. He just goes with it. He doesn't look back. Sandy looks back. She's like, what the fuck just happened? He does not look back. He's going with cha-cha. The devil is in the dance. (laughs) The drum beats alone. It's almost, I said it before, it's very animalistic. And it's meant to drive you into a frenzy. And this is where everyone's on the floor and their mm-hmm. skirts are above their heads and they're showing their well, underwear. And the chaperones are going yes. nuts. <laughs> yes. Like, what's happened? Yes. We lost control. <laughs> this and awful what's your nuts. This yes. rock and roll. <laughs> this rock and roll is so evil. Look what Elvis made. I know. And you can hear in the song when the winners are announced and they hand the trophy to Cha-Cha and all the kids surround them and they just go nutty. Yes, the music just gets ramped up just a little bit. gets brighter listen to it and see if you can hear when it happens and they're going now can you hand job baby and shasha's got the she's got the trophy and she's going like this and she's waving it in the air but if you so it's a very conflicting part of the movie you're super joyous about what has just happened but you're like but but sandy 
What happened? So the words to this song, they're nutty. This is not a song that I sung. This is a song that we danced to. I never sung these words. And maybe it's because the words are so dumb. Okay. <laughs> Tell me if this sounds familiar to you. Before I was born, late one night, my papa said, everything's all right. The doctor paid. Mama laid down with her stomach bouncing all around because the bebop stork was about to arrive. Mama gave birth to the hand jive. <laughs> <laughs> it's so dumb. I don't even want to picture that. I don't even want to. And that's what Bowser is singing. That first part with her stomach bouncing all around. Or just like, yeah, I don't want to visualize mm-hmm. that. But that. I'll watch that YouTube clip over and over and over again, and I will get mesmerized just like Danny does when they take away Sandy and give him Cha-Cha's uh-huh. hand. I wonder if Cha-Cha had to get a permission slip to come to that dance. She didn't go to yes, that high school. That's a really good question. So, She's you know, like a right? 40-year-old woman. I yeah. know that too, but they said she went. I thought they said she went to the other They did. She, she did. She went to the or something. Yeah, St. Bernard. Yeah. Something like that. With I the acne scar. The, yeah. the Catholic high school, right? Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, the Catholic girls start much too start young. Much too, mm-hmm. yeah. too late. Or is it too late? Too late. Oh, in my mind, it's too young. Okay, so we're still at the dance, right? When we flip it over to side four. The first two songs on side four, we get Freddie My Love and Rock and Roll Party Queen. I don't know Rock and Roll Party Queen. I can't remember that. But na 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 Party Queen. na 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 My Party Queen. This is, I can tell you, this is the side you didn't listen to. Although, I don't. Well, I would have because I would have listened to We Go Together and Look at Me, I'm Sandra Day. Oh, yeah, good and point. There are worse things yeah. I could do. Those are like some of the but best songs of the I carefully mm-hmm. picked up my needle and moved it to where the songs I wanted to hear were and <laughs> oh. then tried to get it right in that little spot so it was starting right in, in the, the right place. I did mine in order of the movie because I acted out the movie from beginning to end. I didn't do it oh my the God. way the oh, wow, songs that went. Took so I would wow. do the songs as they came in order of the movie so I could do it in order. I could tell the story in order. Well, I'm impressed. Okay, so after the dance is over, we have to go back to school and we get a really important song by Rizzo called There Are Worse Things I Could Do. There are worse things I could do Than go with a boy or two Even though the neighborhood thinks I'm trashy and no good I suppose it could be true, but there are worse things I could do. This is her solo, and this is a song about slut-shaming and misogyny. And I know that most people, as children, skipped over this song. (laughs) But that's only because we didn't understand what it meant. We didn't understand what she was singing about. I didn't know why this song was even happening, It is, of course, because Rizzo thinks she might be pregnant, but she has decided to let Kaniki off the hook by telling him that the baby isn't his. So this song is basically about the double standards that we have for men and women and how she's going to be shamed and ostracized from her community for being a teen mom if she's pregnant, and he's going to go on with life as usual. This song was only kept in the film because of Stockard Channing's insistence. She insisted that this stay in the movie, this entire scene stay in the movie. 
Firstly, because of the message that she was a good person. Rizzo was a good person. She, she says in the song, I don't steal and I don't lie, but I can feel and I can cry. But none of that really seemed to matter to society. All that matters to society is that she had sex with her boyfriend and therefore she's a bad person. And at the 20th anniversary re-release of the movie, the director looked over at Stockard Channing during this song, and she had tears in her eyes flowing down her face. This is why she fought so hard to keep this song in the movie. I don't steal. As a kid, I would say I was moved by the song, but I, but I didn't, I didn't understand it, and I also felt a little uncomfortable with it. It made me a little bit uncomfortable, but I didn't know why. Mm-hmm. I'd say that same thing for how I felt about it. So I think, um, yeah, you know, thankfully, as we all got older, we start to see Rizzo as, uh, you know, a much more three dimensional character who we can have compassion for and um, just kind of say, "Gosh." you know, you poor girl, like that this is what people were saying to you and, you know, doing to you. And that's if you understood that she thought she was pregnant because there were several. I did not understand that at the outset when I first saw the movie and sang that song. There was, she, she has a bun in the oven. Um, I, I'm like a broken typewriter. I skipped a period, um, lady with a baby coming through. And I, that's all at the drive-in movie. That's all that Mm -hmm. whole conversation between Mm -hmm. Marty and Rizzo is happening at the drive-in movie. And I didn't understand any of it. So I did not understand what came after. I didn't know why she had to sing this song. Um, and then even at the end of the movie, when she tells Kaniki, it's a false alarm. I'm not pregnant. I was like, what? <laughs> Why are we talking about being pregnant? Yeah, I don't get it. All went over my head. So we're getting toward the end of the movie now. And next we have a reprise of Look at Me, I'm Sandra D. This time sung by Sandy. Look at me. sings this very slow and more pensive version of Look at Me, I'm Sandra D. And she's sitting alone at Thunder Road. The race has happened. Everybody is like, they're all laughing and cheering and having fun. And Sandy is sitting alone at Thunder Road. And she's contemplating her transformation. And she doesn't seem mired in identity crisis. She seems very quiet and she seems very confident. So it's the same melody as the song that Rizzo sung when she was essentially bullying her, but the words are completely different. They tell us that she is recognizing that her wholesome and pure persona may have been out of fear. It may have been out of uncertainty. She's questioning if that's really who she is. She wants to have agency. She wants the one that she wants. And she sings, look at me. There has to be something more than what they see. 
which is the image that we all put forward, right? Mm -hmm. Wholesome and pure, also scared and unsure, a poor man's Sandra D. So she's thinking to herself, she's not passing herself off as the ingenue um, of Sandra D. And then in the middle of her song, Frenchie runs over her to celebrate that Danny has won the race. But she can see that Sandy isn't celebrating. And she says, aren't you happy? And Sandy says, not really, Riz. (laughs) She says, but I know how it can be. Will you help me? In her little Australian whispery voice. And of course, Frenchie is super excited to help her. So then they start running away. And Sandy is singing in the background. Sandy, you must start anew. As she runs away with Frenchie, the camera closes in on Danny's face, and it's a look of pure longing. He loves her like that. He loves her in her little pink dress and her little white keds. He loves her. He's not demanding that she change into anything. It's just that they both have to decide what voices they're going to listen to. Goodbye. So now we get to the magical ending song, which is We Go Together. You know, it's this song to me is such an anthem for high school. The way it starts is just talk about nipple lightning. Danny hits the high striker game and the bell rings and he screams, I want Babaluma! I want Bamboo! And that iconic opening music starts and you can't help but want to wish you could also do cartwheels and handsprings and run yeah. and, mm-hmm. and grab anyone who is around you arm in arm. And I loved the end where they make Rose and the couples dance down yes. and they grab their mm-hmm. yearbooks. And then at the end, they're all really close. They're doing the arm thing to reveal Danny and Sandy and the magical car that flies, which is or is not the most terrible <laughs> and bizarre ending of a movie ever. But um, the whole song is such a celebration and it's the happy ending yeah. that you want. Regardless of what you think about the flying car, we talk about this, and listeners, hopefully you've listened to our debate about the Carnival and Cardigan Sandy, the Olivia and John episode we did um, a year ago, um, and we do talk about the magical car flying <laughs> off and how weird that is. But I think we all just agree to say, regardless of if that's a dumb ending or not, the song and the song is so perfect for just that happy ending and the carnival. The damage that was done to all of us, though, is that we all now thought that all of our last days of school were going to <laughs> right. be like that. A carnival, school carnival. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. um, Michelle, I want to even just um, focus a little bit on that word happy because I can say that when I left that movie, I was so happy. Like if you go, yeah. if you ask me, oh, what movies made you happy or what did you leave a movie and just feel joyful. It would, I would say Greece 110%. And now as I'm also thinking about it, this was also, I know I say it a lot, the saddest summer of my life. This is the summer I am moving. I see the movie on our road trip, moving from Texas to New Jersey. And maybe it sticks in my mind so much, this happiness I left the movie with, because so much of other stuff during that time was 
so sad for me. And this was a moment in time that just stood out. And I can just think of smiling, of singing. I don't think I waited till Christmas 1978. I think I saved up or I begged my mom. I think I got spoiled a lot that summer because everyone oh, you know, yeah. felt sorry for me. So this was like my respite from mm-hmm. some really, really sad, a really sad time for me. Wow. Well, and I feel like this song probably, I don't, I'm not speaking for you, but it's got to be, this song has to be one that just, that just does make those synapses fire. There's nothing like that song at the end. Rama, lama, 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 dippy, dee, 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 you know, like yes. the whole the thing is and, just yeah. joyful. I still feel like I'm chasing that experience mm-hmm. to this day. I'm 55 years old. I'm not graduating from anything anymore, but I'm still chasing yeah. that experience. Yeah. They were just elated. It was such mm-hmm. that moment and the, the colors of all the stuff with the carnival. Yeah. It mm-hmm. was it was beautiful. I loved and it, it doesn't it seemed like such a miss for me on uh, when we graduated from high school on the last day of school of my senior year. I'm like, seriously, nobody thought to get a carnival? Mm-hmm. I mean, come on. <laughs> Believe it or not, We Go Together is not the last song on the album. That's faulty. Um, I that know, it's weird. should have been the last song. They didn't put this together like you're supposed to put an album together. Yeah. No kidding, because the next song, Love is a Many Splendor Thing. Love is a Many Splendor Thing is the opening of the movie and we start with that montage. So Love is a Many Splendored Thing is playing in the background as we see Sandy and Danny walking along the beach. Then we have that scene where she's taking a picture of him with the little like box brownie camera and he's well, she's telling him to go back mm-hmm. and then, oh, he falls into the sandcastle. It's just, <laughs> it, it, um, it's just a really fun way to kind of show how happy they are together and kind of paint that picture for you. And of course... I realized this movie had so many references to things my parents knew or were part of their pop culture growing up. So, you know, my mom then is explaining to me the movie Love is a Many Splendored Thing and that it got turned into a soap opera, Love is a Many Splendored Thing. Uh, so there were so th- this is what I think of when I think of that song and that scene would be probably when my mom heard it on the album or when we're at the movie theaters. Oh, do you know what that's from? And then yes. telling me. My mom did that, too. Story. Yeah. She was so excited about it. It was fun when our parents got excited about things that we didn't because it connected with something in their youth and they wanted to tell us about it, about this movie that we both loved Mm -hmm. equally. Oh, that's how I feel about um, Look at Me, I'm Sandra D, where they were telling me who all these actors and actresses Mm -hmm. were, these names, or, you know, when she's like, Fangul. And my dad thought it was really cool that he could tell me what that meant um, and everything. So, yeah. Fangul. So Love is a Many Splendored Thing is how the movie opens with this little backstory that that Carolyn just told us all about. And now we've come full circle on the album because the notable thing about this song, both in the movie and on the album, is how it seamlessly transitions itself into that first urgent synthesizer opening of the song, which is the last song on the album of Grease. Actually, the last note of the song, Love's a Many Splendored Thing, is the first note of Grease. And this is how our movie starts. 
So we've made it through all four sides of Greece, the original soundtrack to the motion picture. It's possible that the soundtrack to Greece is the most important album of our generation. The most known, the most played, the most owned, those songs told a story. And that message of being who you are is even more important to us now as middle-aged people. Just like Michelle said, we still have people trying to put us in boxes or people trying to make us invisible. As if we have nothing to say because we're too old and we're not relevant anymore. Listen to Barry Gibb and Frankie Valli and believe them. There ain't no danger we can go too far. We start believing now that we can be who we are. For us, Greece is still the word. Thanks so much for listening, and we will see you next time. Want to make your Friday so much more fun? Then make sure you're subscribed to our email newsletter, The Weekly Reader. It's delivered straight to your inbox every Friday morning, and it includes links to cool stuff that we've mentioned in our episodes. We also share scoop on what we're reading and watching, so you are not going to want to miss out. If you're not already signed up, you can do that on our website at poppreservationist.com or at the link in bio on Instagram. And have you guys checked out our great reviews on Apple Podcasts? They're amazing. They're so truthful and honest. (laughs) We love stars. (laughs) Those reviews are how others know our podcast is worth their time. So if you like our conversations, we'd be so appreciative if you'd take just a minute to tell others why you like it. And while you're there, why not click those five stars? And to our supporters on Patreon, you guys are simply the best for all you do for us. And don't forget, this season, our solid gold and bicentennial level patrons will be getting video sneak peeks of our episodes a few days before they drop. Sometimes they still have bloopers in them that haven't been edited out yet. Yikes. Just go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com and put our name in the search bubble. And as always, we like to thank our patrons by name on this very podcast. Today, we're giving a special thank you to Mendel, Kelly, Christy, Julie, Kristen, Megan, Melanie, Jeremy, Allie, Amy, Felicia, Jen, Colleen, Alexis, and our newest patron, Kimberly. Thanks, you guys, so, so much. That's a lot of people. We have a, well, we only have a few more episodes we're recording this season, and all of a sudden I'm looking at our list like, whoop, we better beef it up. I got to get everybody in each season. So, yes. yeah. Thanks, Thank you, guys. You, everybody. That's, That's awesome. That is so great. In the meantime, let's raise our glasses for a toast, courtesy of the cast of Three's Company. Two good times. Two happy days. To Little House on the Prairie. Cheers. Cheers. The information, opinions, and comments expressed on the Pop Culture Preservation Society podcast belong solely to Carolyn, the Crushologist, and Hello Newman, and are in no way representative of our employers or affiliates. And though we truly believe we are always right, there is always a first time. The PCPS is written, produced, and recorded in Minneapolis, Minnesota, home of the fictional WJM Studios and our beloved Mary Richards. Nanu Nanu, keep on trucking, and may the force be with you.